Welcome to the Life on Repeat podcast with me, Laura Valancourt, licensed mental health counselor, geriatric mental health specialist, and dementia coach. I'm so happy that you found us. Well, hi, everyone. It is a pleasure to have this conversation with our guest. I am going to do a brief introduction and we'll jump right into our conversation. I have Gretchen Stabler here. And in 2012, Gretchen left her job and her friends on the East Coast to return to her childhood home on the West Coast to companion her 96-year-old mother from whom she had been comfortably distanced from for 36 years. So Gretchen has a degree in counseling, and she says that that didn't help at all with this <laughs> experience, which is, I love that, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But Gretchen wrote a book called Mother Load, Confessions of a Reluctant Caregiver, and I, I love the title. So thank you, Gretchen, for joining us today to just have a conversation about your experiences, and, and maybe our listeners can gain some sense of camaraderie <laughs> or connection. But sometimes I, I also think even if people can't relate to the unique circumstances of someone's caregiving experience, hearing from others and, and the ways that caregiving can look different can be really helpful as well. So welcome, Gretchen. Thank you, Laura. I'm thrilled to be here. Yay. So maybe you can give us a little bit of uh, a backstory, just kind of set the stage for what was going on in your life when you found out that you needed to, to move, a little, little idea of what your mother's health concerns might have been, if you don't mind sharing. And yeah. Well, actually, about five years before I, well, before I came, I decided that when I turned 60, it was going to be time to come back to my home because I'd been homesick for 36 years. <laughs> and I had, my family was gone from North Carolina or from Raleigh anyway. One, my son was in on the other side of the state and my daughter had actually, after college and the Peace Corps, settled down in Seattle. So I decided I was either going to go to Asheville or to Seattle in five years. So, Wait, tell me, tell us where Asheville is. Asheville is on the west side of North Carolina. Got it. In the mountains. I needed to get out of the Piedmont, which is the flat central part of the state. <laughs> but I did have friends, really good friends, and, and that was hard. Um, five years came and I almost changed my mind. Um, then I decided, no, it was time. And my mom was 96 at that time. And in pretty good health, considering her age. But she was clearly starting to decline. And my younger sister had moved back from the East Coast to the West Coast 10 years earlier. And uh, she was doing more than her share. And it was going to get harder. And it just didn't seem right to me to, to leave it to her. And so I pulled up my big girl pants and <laughs> packed my 
elderly Honda CRV with my cat and <laughs> drove across the country in July of 2012. And, and it was terrifying. The, the trip wasn't terrifying. <laughs> I loved the trip, but when I started to get close, cross the border into Washington, I was like, what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> my mother and I were not close, but it was okay because she was 2,500 miles away and I could deal with it. My father died in 1995. So she'd been uh, pretty much on her own, except for the few years that my sister lived with her before she moved to her own place and dealing with it. And how much longer could she do that? So I decided one year, I could do it for one year and, and we would get her moved to assisted living or to whatever was next for her. And then I could go on with my life. And it, so it seemed like a good way to transition without having to have a job and worry about all of that and do my part <laughs> as a daughter. So yeah, you bring up a couple really good points that I, I want to dive a little deeper into you. One of the things that you brought, well, two things, one, I'm imagining what it must have felt like for you to leave your friends, you know, your, your primary support people, (laughs) your community and walking into a a life, an unknown, a sort of a known and an unknown. And we know, right. That when you're in a caregiver role or companioning role, how important it is to maintain that sense of connection with others and to have your own support and so, yeah, tell me a little bit about, had you thought about that or, and I guess hindsight's always twenty <laughs> twenty there. Well, this, this group of friends, it was the first time I'd really had a group of women friends that were my friends and not my former husband's work friends or, or joint friends, but they were my friends and I had never had that before and didn't know if I would ever have it again. And, and that was really hard. And thank goodness for the internet. Um, it's not the same, definitely not the same long distance, but at least it was a thread to hang on to that I wouldn't be completely isolated from them, that I could chat with them. Or, this is, I'm glad that you're bringing this up because that's yeah. such an important part that I think people don't always realize until you're in it, you know, until you're in it deep and you're longing for those connections and somebody to just be yourself with and be real with. So, so you were able, do you feel like you were able to maintain those relationships and you said not, it isn't the ideal situation. They weren't sitting in my living room anymore. (laughs) I think I, I lost touch with some of them more quickly than I expected to because they had busy lives and I was a lot more isolated and not as busy. So it wasn't the same as all of us finding space in our lives to get together because I no longer had a life. (laughs) And I was coming back to the town where my parents were well-known in the community. It's a small town. 
And then my sister came and started a beautiful shop downtown and she became well-known. So I was leaving a place that had been mine and going back to a place that was theirs. And, and I did become Stella Joe's daughter and Rebecca's sister. And it's been, even after 10 years, hard to, hard to break out. Of. Yeah. 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 One of the other things that you brought up was the idea of the quote, sharing responsibility as, as a, as a sibling. And that's something that comes up so often with people is, and sorry, I know I'm jumping right in with a couple of questions already. And I do want to hear more <laughs> about your experiences. And there are so many people. I wonder if you can speak to that a little bit, just your your own unique experience with communicating with a sibling and sharing responsibility. And there are a lot of people that don't have siblings or they don't have good relationships with siblings or they do have good relationships with siblings. And there's still challenges that, that come with communication and expectations and responsibilities. And so I wonder if you could share just a little about that, navigating that with you. Hey. I really feel for those people who who are really doing it on their own for whatever reason. I don't know if I could have done it without my sister. She knew how hard it was because she'd done it. <laughs> and we have an older sister who lives on the East Coast, and she was not involved except for one thing that was really, really important. If I needed a break when things got more challenging, if I needed a break, she would fly across the country and spend a week with my mom, our mom, so that Rebecca wouldn't have to up disrupt her life. And, and I could get away and know that she was in good hands, that there was someone in the house. And so it wasn't a daily support thing. I wish she would have called my mom more often than she did. But knowing that she would come if I needed her meant everything. So yeah. How important was it for you during those years to get away? And how <laughs> so important. <laughs> it's a cliche by now, but to fasten your own oxygen mask or secure your own oxygen mask before you try to help someone else is is really true. Cliche or no, you'll get sick. Emotionally and physically, you just have to take care of yourself. And for people who don't have a support system and whose parent or loved one is more needy than mine was, I know it's hard, but you have to figure it out. Ask neighbors, ask friends, don't wait for them to offer. Ask them if they will come and be in the house for an hour or two hours whatever it takes, or find respite care, find a relative who will come and stay in the house, whatever it takes, ask. Don't be afraid to ask. You can't do it all. You just can't. I Thank you for highlighting that. I think that especially people that tend to be the ones that step up, <laughs> tend to be the natural caregivers or the responsible ones or how, however you want to phrase that are the people that I think have a harder time receiving 
because they're so used to being in the giving role or the doing role. And I think it's whether it's cultural or it's values based or what, whatever, it's really, it's an important skill to learn and um, a muscle to practice <laughs> flexing. And so I want to ask, and I, and I know that you had your older sister, was, was it hard for you to ask? Did you experience that? That What story did you tell yourself about being able to maintain the role of caregiver? Mm-hmm. Actually, it was not hard for me. I am not a caregiver personality. On the inventories that you do, you know, I am not caregiver. That doesn't come up anywhere in my profile. And this is good. I, I'm, again, happy because the reality is there are a lot of us out there, a lot of family members out there that are in this role that would not have normally right. volunteered to be or think of themselves as, as a natural caregiver. So yeah. my younger sister, that is her profile. She is the caregiver type. And, and you know what? She lived here for, for 10 years before I came in. I'm not sure she ever asked me to come and help. And our mom was not as needy. She wasn't in, in need of so much help then. They kind of took care of each other a little bit. But for me, it was not hard to ask my older sister to come. It was hard for my mom when I asked, however. She would say, she's so busy and she has a husband to take care of. And it's like, and I was like, oh, well, you know, <laughs> she can step up. It's okay. So. So my mom pushed, had pushback, but I didn't have any problem asking her. <laughs> I'm also thinking about the difference between just highlighting when I when I'm listening to your experience, highlighting the differences between family caregiver versus like a professional caregiver. And when you were talking about the emotional drain or emotional spiritual, you know, on all levels and whether we're looking at past relationship dynamics that we've had with parents or spouses or whoever we're caring for. It's so interesting to me because people can say that when they think of caregiving, they think of the tasks, they think of the, the, okay, you know, yeah, you got to cook and clean and schedule appointments and do all these tasks and maintain and maintain the household and, and yeah, some of those tasks can be really difficult and, and hard, but I think people are always forgetting the other half of that is the emotional and the spiritual part. And it, it doesn't always, it's not always the physical drain. It's there's an emotional slash spiritual experience that's also happening. And depending on what your past relationship was like with the person you're caring for, depending on what your past history was like with being in that role. I mean, there's so many pieces. And then we haven't even begun to look at the grief and the loss of watching your loved one decline and the loss of yourself, right? The loss of your own life or your where or your own journey or where you thought you would be or all of those sorts of things. So maybe you can talk a little bit about your personal kind of journey through that aspect, the loss for yourself. And mm-hmm. When I came, I had pretty clear boundaries and it probably 
one of my regrets, and I try not to use that word because I think we all do the best that we can in the moment. And uh, regrets, having regrets is not really that helpful, especially when it's too late to do anything about it. But I do wish that my mother and I had talked more about expectations before I came. And one of the examples that I I use in my book is is the family farm. You know, my uncle um, took over the family farm in Michigan and my grandparents were still alive. And I expect that, that they had a conversation about whose farm is it now and whose responsibility is this and whose responsibility is that. And my mom and I didn't do that. And I, and I, I wish we had, but I, I had boundaries and I kept to them and I sort of told her what they were and not in so many words without getting her buy-in on it so much, but I did not come to be the housekeeper and she had people before I came she had someone who did the yard work and she had someone who helped her clean house. And I did not come to do that. I came to be her daughter, not her housekeeper. So no, I was not going to scrub the floors on my hands and knees, which she felt was the only way that you could properly do it. And she was not going to pay me. Rebecca had a different understanding with her and she did pay her and I did not want to be paid because that made me beholden to do what she wanted me to do and and hours I was not going to punch a clock you know I was just going to be in the house here with her doing what needed to be done to care for her we did eventually she had a a part-time very part-time and uh, a caregiver. I don't know if that's what she called her, but she just came when my mom wanted her to come. And we did eventually start hiring with regular hours, which was a big part of my book, how that went. <laughs> but I was really clear that that we needed more of that when the, when the time came, because I couldn't be here 24-7 and I couldn't be doing for her 24-7. Mm-hmm. And so I had the things that I needed to do to, to take care of myself and I kept doing them. Yeah. It sounds like that you, whether you were conscious of it <laughs> and strategic about it or not so much, you were really clear about what you needed to in order to to be in that role. So how did you take care of yourself? What were some things we're talking about a little bit, partially by having these kind of boundaries, if you will, or you talked about, you wish that you would have had more clear expectations about certain things. Yeah. Tell us a little about how you. I had had a weekly writing cafe coffee writing time for several years before I came. And I needed to keep that up. And one time when my sister was visiting from Virginia, I overheard my mom telling her that Gretchen has her routines. I'm more flexible. And I could I could hear Joanne trying not to laugh. And it's like, because she was 
not very flexible. But I know I know she was talking about my writing cafe time, and I didn't care if she approved of it or not. I wasn't giving it up. That was part of my life long before I came. I do yoga once a week, and I had been for some time, and so I I continued doing that. That was an hour on the mat in the studio, so I kept doing that. And writing. Writing saved me, and, and I would recommend to any caregiver, write. Keep a journal. It has so many positive things. Write five things that you were grateful for that day, just because sometimes it gets so hard to see anything to be grateful for. And it might be you heard a bird singing, you know, <laughs> but something. And it's also helpful to write what happened, what you did about it, and what was the outcome, because you can start to see patterns and you can start to see what's helpful and what's not helpful. It doesn't mean you can always do it. it the next time, even when you know it, doesn't mean you can do it. But knowledge is powerful. So I had writing time. I kept a journal. And I started a blog. I had, I'd had i had a blog before, and I started one about caregiving called Daughter on Duty. And I would say of all the self-care that I did, that blog is what saved me. It became a book for one thing later, but it also put me in touch with other people. And I started getting followers, not only my friends, but people I didn't know who were caregivers and they could complain on the page, you know, and they would understand. It sometimes can sound like so much whining to people who don't know what it's like. And it gets tiresome both to say it and to hear it. But when you're talking on the page in with people who, who get it, that's life-giving. Oh, that is so important. I wrote, I, I've been jotting these little notes as you're talking and <laughs> that is something that I... I'm glad that you said, because I think that people sometimes might feel conflicted about sharing their frustrations or complaints, and they don't want to be in a negative space. And there is a difference between being in a negative space and expressing those feelings therapeutically. Like there's a therapeutic piece there. There's a community piece there. There's a a space of being heard and seen and validated that I think is so important. And so I love that you brought that up. Is that blog still accessible to folks? Is that still out? It is. Yeah, it's still there. Okay. So they could find it by just Googling daughter on duty. Daughter on duty. Okay. <laughs> nice. That's I don't keep it up, but anyway. yeah, no, you know, I'm someone that kind of believes strongly in, Oh, wonder how do I how do I say that when when we talk about time and space, you know that we could be recording this today and somebody could listen to this a year from now and be right in the place that we're at. And so experience does span time and space, and and so I, I'm sure there are people that are still finding that and finding yeah. in, in that blog. Yeah, and I have a, a website now that I hope will be helpful to people. After my mom died and as I started marketing this book, I, I realized that 
I really feel like it's it's my turn to step up and be supportive. So I started this website where I there are blog posts on it too and resources for caregivers and a place where they can write their story and I'll respond and and hopefully other readers will respond too. That's beautiful. Yeah. What is you have to walk with people who are who are doing it now? Yeah. Yeah. That's something that is just highlighted so much is the sense of community and connection. And and we live in a time where with technology, like you said in the beginning, it's not the same. It's not the same as having your girlfriends in the living room with you. Yet there are so many benefits because you can be in a quiet space. You know, it could be two in the morning and you could be in your room on your iPad or you could be sitting in the doctor's office waiting room and pop on, you know, the times that you need it, it's there. <laughs> and so what is the name of this website? GretchenStabler.com. Okay. And I'll make sure I put this in the show notes for, for folks. So you don't have to run out and grab a pen. <laughs> but one of the reasons that I wrote this book was because I became voraciously looking for memoirs about caregiving and the way you're supposed to write a memoir is you wait until it's over the experience you're writing that is over maybe well over so that you get the perspective from looking back on it and you see it differently and so all the books were like this is the best thing that ever happened that I was able to do this. I feel so fortunate to be able to give back to my parent. And I was just like going, uh, no, I'm not feeling fortunate right now. I need to hear what it was like in the thick of it. So I couldn't find that book. So I wrote that book. Wow. <laughs> and I did write it as I was living it. So it's it's not always, I, I think there are lots of funny things in it because it, if funny things happen, then and when you're not looking back and, and seeing it differently, you realize that was hilarious what she just said, you know. <laughs> and it might have been a little bit irreverent to laugh at it, but sometimes things are funny. And and sometimes you're tearing your hair out. And I needed to see that people were tearing their hair out. Yeah. Did you write this? This might be a kind of a trick question here. Do you feel like you wrote this book for you or for others? Or, Well, I wrote the blog for me. And the blog served as my journal to remember the incidents when I started putting them together. But it also contains a lot of things that I learned I had a person like you, Laura, wish I'd known you then, but I did have an elder care counselor and he let me cry in his office <laughs> and he told me what it was like for my mother and for the cognitive decline that she was experiencing. And at the time, every time I'd go back to see him, the same thing has happened, you know, and he'd tell me the same thing. <laughs> and I just couldn't get it into my head in the moment that I was dealing with it. But those things are, are in, in the book, too. So things that I learned along the way. 
So I, I think it's very much for others. Yeah. I appreciate you saying that because of your comment that you were looking, you were seeking something out like that and didn't find, couldn't find that. And so I, I really, again, just, it's good to hear that people need to hear the good, the bad, the ugly, you know, they need to, to have spaces where people are just being really honest about their experience and not like you said, the aftermath when everything you have this time to heal and these um, insights that may come later. Yeah. I'm really interested in your experience in writing for those folks out there. Some people have always journaled and expressed themselves on paper, whether it's during a crisis or it's all the time every day, whether it's a, a spiritual sort of practice or it's just processing. I'm curious about folks, both who do that and folks who don't tend to do that. And, and would you encourage individuals who maybe have never journaled before or really thought about writing to why might they consider that? I really would encourage it, and no one has to read it, but get a book you think is pretty to open and a pen you like to write with and find a time, and it's hard to find a time. I I understand that. A lot of people are have much less time than I had, but find some time, even if it's just five minutes or two minutes. And Put your pen on the page and write the first thing that comes into your head and then just keep writing. Don't pick up the pen. Don't edit yourself. Just keep writing everything that comes into your brain and goes down into the pen and just keep keep the pen moving. And I can I can almost guarantee that after you get in the habit of doing that, you'll find it very cathartic. Mm, yeah. Would you ever go back and read what you wrote? Or did did you move on forward? My writing was a little bit different than that. I had been journaling until I started blogging. And I did keep a bit of a journal, mostly once I realized that I was probably going to write a book. It was it was more facts than, than therapeutic journaling because I had the blog instead. So I was I had moved from years of journaling into something different. So I was more experienced at doing it, but if you're not experienced, then that's the place to start. Just write. I love that. I'm wondering, as we're getting closer to wrapping up this episode, I would love to hear if you're willing to share a funny story or a memorable moment or a highlight, a sneak peek highlight (laughs) from your book, if you will. (laughs) Well, I can read the opening if you want. Sure, that would be great. Okay. So this is um, just kind of, uh, my mom didn't have um, severe dementia. And there were there were times not, not to diminish the challenges of severe dementia or Alzheimer's, but there were times when I felt like it might be have been easier if she would just say there's an elephant in the yard. I could play with that story, but but her dementia was a lot more subtle, and I never quite knew 
when she was playing me or when her brain was scrambled or when she was even right and I didn't recognize it as being right. And her accusations of me having done something that I didn't do and wanting to argue with it and knowing in my head that it doesn't help to argue with dementia. Those were some of the biggest challenges. But this story is a little bit representative of the craziness <laughs> that happened. So as I prepare to leave for grocery shopping, Mama asks me to pick up some ground sirloin. Be sure it's sirloin. I don't want ground round, she says, which I already know because she's told me a hundred times in the three months since I started cooking for her. I like to have some in the freezer because I might want homemade pasta sauce. I don't like what comes in a jar. It's too salty. Did you like the sauce we had last night? I ask. It was missing something, she says, after a moment of silence, as if trying to think what might be the right answer. Did you make it or was it from a jar? I made it, I say. What was it missing, do you think? Salt, she says. She can't see my eyes roll. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that. <laughs> Gretchen, thank you so much for coming. Oh, thank you. Yeah, this is such a pleasure. Can you tell folks, you mentioned your website and your blog and the name of your book. Do you mind repeating that to folks just so that they... They know how to find you. Okay. The old website or the old blog was daughter on duty at wordpress.com. The new website is gretchenstabler.com. And my book is Mother Load Confessions of a Reluctant Caregiver. It's a beautiful cover, too. I know that those of you listening aren't able to see. We are planning in the future here on Life on Repeat podcast, we are going to be launching a YouTube channel soon. And so we will be posting our interview videos so that you can, if you enjoy watching, you'll be able to hop on and watch the interviews as well. But Gretchen, this has been so much fun. And I will be sure to post those links in our show notes. So so our listeners can find you easier. And thank you so much for thank joining. Thank you, Laura. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have comments or would like to send us a message, you can send it to hello at lifeonrepeatpodcast.com. Please also consider following us at Life on Repeat Podcast, either on Instagram or Facebook. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute, nor is it meant to convey professional, legal, psychological, financial, or medical advice. If you can use such services, please seek them out from someone you trust.